I've got great news. The next time that I'm going to be out of town, I got Kirk Gibson to fill in for me. Well, I'll try not to be too excited. Gee whiz. That's nasty. Okay, the story goes that there's two men who go out and they're golfing. One guy is absolutely tremendous, and the other guy is absolutely hideous. Bill Simpson, where are you at? I, I, I don't know why. I thought of you on the hideous side. But, but um, basically, these two guys, they go out golfing, and the one guy that's hideous, let's just look at Bill for a moment. Just picture him. Bill is out there, and he's losing. I mean, he's losing balls. They're going in the trees. I mean, they're going under bushes. He's smacking trees. That is him. He's smacking trees. There's bushes. There's things flying down. You know, branches are falling. You'd think that he worked for the maintenance crew at the golf course, right? And he's just ripping this place apart. Finally, he lands on this big ant hill. There's millions of ants. Bill goes over, and as divots were flying before, there's sand flying now. I mean, there's sand flying everywhere. There's sand. There's ants. Millions of ants are being destroyed as Bill tries to hit his ball. Finally, there's only two ants left. The ball has not been touched. The one ant looks at the other and says, what do you think we should do? And the other ant says, if we don't get on the ball, it looks like we're going to die. <laughs> so, well, you know, I can help but think of that as I thought about the fact that there are two tracks that we've been talking about, two camps. Camp number one, as it relates to rewards, are those people who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That camp, without question, the Bible teaches, will surely die. There will be a day where they'll face judgment, that they will be eternally condemned. They're one camp, they will surely die. Track number two are those of us who have put our faith in Christ, but there will be a day also where we will be judged. And as surely as camp number one will die, I think that a lot of us are going to die from the standpoint that we'll be kicking our resurrected butts as we begin to understand what God taught in the area of performance as it pertains to our evaluation and rewards. I think there are going to be many of us who are going to be very disappointed in that we didn't take God more seriously as He talked to us about our evaluation. There is some day that each one of us will be evaluated before Almighty God. We will stand before Him, and this morning what I'd like to do is uh, go back to what we originally talked about last week, and that is few, if any of us, are able to uh, avoid the inevitable of an employee evaluation. Every one of us go through it, whether you are the person who is evaluating somebody else or you're the one who is being evaluated for your performance, it is inevitable in contemporary industry and as sensitive as labor laws are today that you will be evaluated for your performance. So many of us can identify with that. I'll use that as kind of a parallel to what God teaches about evaluation, although it pales in comparison to what our evaluation before the Lord will be like, but it'll at least help us to identify some of the process that's going to take place. For example, at that evaluation, we need to ask the question, uh, what will we be evaluated for? If you are evaluated in contemporary industry, you want to know, what am I going to be evaluated for? Is it based on uh, productivity? Is it based on um, attendance? Is it based on attitude, participation? I mean, what is the criteria under which we'll be evaluated? So we need to look at what we'll be evaluated for. We need to look at when will this evaluation take place. Is it going to be six months from now? Is it going to be annually? When is it going to take place? We need to know when. The Bible addresses that. 
We need to also look at not only what and when, but how it takes place and what the results are as they take place. So we're going to look at all of those things, but the reality of all of it is, you know, it's so funny, we get cold and clammy palms just thinking about a business or employee valuation, and yet for many of us, we've never stopped to consider the seriousness of one day standing before the Lord and being evaluated for what we have done while here on earth. If there's anything that we should ever be anticipating with much anticipation, it will be that day that we stand before the Lord and have to give an account for the things that we have done while here on earth. It's amazing to me that, you know, we always have it backwards. We're more worried about what men can do to us than what God can do to us. And Jesus was so clear. He said, don't worry about what men can do. All they can do is kill the body. But if you're going to worry about anything or fear anything, then you fear God because He has in His hands the power to condemn you or to uphold you. Man, I'll tell you what, if there's an evaluation I want to be ready for, it's that one. How about you? That's what we're here to talk about. And I believe the certainty of that event, the certainty of it should affect the way that you live your lives today. Just as the certainty of knowing in six months or 12 months I'll be evaluated for my performance on my, in, in my business, that the certainty of that event will change what you do between now and then if you understand all the conditions. And the certainty of the event of the evaluation that each of us will anticipate certainly should change the way that we live our lives because what we believe about tomorrow drastically should affect the way that we live today. So we're going to go through and take a look at what you can expect. God does not want you to be surprised. He wants you to be able to understand what you can expect at your evaluation. He's not pulling any punches. He's not trying to trick you. He's not going to say, aha, I got you on this. He's saying, look, you know what? My word is clear. Everything that you'll be evaluated on, I'm telling you about it ahead of time. And if it was not so, I wouldn't have told you that. And this is what's going on. So you'll never be able to say that, God, I didn't know, Lord, what you were going to expect of me. And what I would have you to do is pay close attention because there's nothing that will affect your life more than the summary of what God has to say in His Word as far as evaluation. Number one, you'll be evaluated by God for your, uh, you'll be evaluated by God following your life on earth. There's a certainty to it. Jesus tells the story when He says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. He said, if you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So the first fact that we know is what? We will experience an evaluation. Okay, now what are we going to be evaluated on? What are we going to be evaluated on? From this, what do you see? What are you going to be evaluated on? I mean, if you left here and you went, man, you know what? The Lord is going to evaluate me on one thing. If I didn't grasp anything else today, I know He's going to evaluate me on this. And so as a result, it should change my mind and attitude about the things that I'm doing in this one area. See, I don't want you to go out of here with like 90,000 things. I mean, just grasp one and go and run with it, and you're going to be one ahead of when you came in. Pardon me? Okay, great. The Lord's going to evaluate you someday on your hospitality, on how you treat others, and specifically what? Okay, working for repayment. We're going to talk about that because, you know, I talked to several people and you got a real bad attitude about this one particular area. It's like, well, you mean to tell me that I can expect being repaid by God for doing this? Doesn't that kind of cloud my motive? Doesn't that kind of cloud the reason I'm doing it? I mean, I should just want to do it because I want to do it. You know, some of us are just having a problem grasping 
the reality or the point. It's like the two, did you hear about the two Polish Olympians that won gold medals? This is true. They interviewed him afterwards and said, okay, now that you won the gold medal and you're going home, what are you going to do with the medals? And the one guy said, I think I'm going to have mine bronzed. <laughs> so, I don't, you know, some of us just, you know, some of us just wrestle with the truth here and like, we just don't quite get the point. All right, we can look at it that way. Well, I'm going to be working for what I'm going to get in, in, in return. Okay, that's one way to look at it. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's the way some of us feel. But the reality of it is that God will repay us. He says, although they cannot repay, you will be repaid. There's a guarantee. At the resurrection of the righteous, when I judge you, you will be repaid. You will be repaid according to your hospitality. Okay? Well, let's get into it. What about motive? Is there motive? Is there anything to do with motive up there? Huh? Okay, yeah, why are you providing the hospitality? The Lord is going to evaluate you based on your hospitality, right? Now the question will be is, okay, why did you provide such hospitality? What was your motive? What was the reason? What was your, uh, the purpose behind it? What does he warn us against? Alright, yeah, doing it so you can be repaid. There are many of us who exchange services, but we don't give anything. We'll do this if you do that. Well, Jesus warns us that, hey, you know what? I'll never evaluate you. You'll never be blessed or commended for exchange of services. Follow it? Because it says, uh, but, or your rich neighbors, if you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. The Lord's not taking note of that. If you're repaid for things that you do here on earth, you've done it because you want repayment, and the Lord knows that. He sees that. And so what he's taking note of is, how many times do you help those who cannot repay you? Whose motive is, you know what? I know that I would, maybe I could keep these funds to myself. Maybe I don't have to open up our home. Maybe I don't have to provide this service. Maybe I don't have to do any of those things because there's a price that I've got to pay today. But you know what? Even though it's going to cost me something today, I'm going to do it because I love the Lord and I want to serve Him and I know that He's taking note of it and that's fine with me. I don't need immediate results. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's basically the bottom line. You're going to be evaluated for things that you do out of a pure heart, pure motive, and doing nothing else but serving God and nothing else. Not to have an exchange. Okay? Number two. When will you be evaluated? Second coming of Christ. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and He will reward each person according to what He has done. You know, I want you to take note as we go through this that there's always a condition, and the condition is the phrase according to. According to what? According to what He has done. Our rewards, when they take place at the second coming of Christ, are going to be according to what we have done. More about that later, but as far as the timing, the timing is clear. At the second coming of Christ, He will reward us. Number three, who's going to, re who's going to evaluate us? Okay, you're sitting there in contemporary business today, and you're going to go through an evaluation, and you've already asked, okay, what are we going to be evaluated on? When is it going to be? Well, who's, who am I going to be evaluated by? Who am I going to have to report to? Who's going to evaluate me? And the Bible is pretty clear, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Before the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ, each one of us one day will have our day in court before the Lord Himself. God Almighty, Jesus Christ, is going to be the one who you're going to sit before. Man, if that's not something to anticipate, 
So funny, we got all excited about the senior vice president of our division going to evaluate us. Ooh, that's pretty exciting. Or the president or the owner or whatever it is, and we get all worked out and get sweaty palms and get all nervous. Boy, we hope everything goes good. And here it is, God Almighty, the Lord himself is going to evaluate us, and we just kind of read through it and go, oh, that's neat. One day we'll sit before the Lord. Oh, that's pretty neat. That's incredible. Do you realize that? I mean, think about this for a moment. You are going to sit before Jesus Christ and He is going to evaluate you according to what you have done. Man, I don't know, but it sure would change my attitude about the things that I'm doing today if that's what He's going to evaluate me on. Number four. While our, our evaluation is personal, it's also complete. Every one of us, we will all stand before God's judgment. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There isn't anyone who has put their faith and trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ that will not face this evaluation. Every one of us, regardless of whether we think we're big in the Lord's eyes or small in His eyes and insignificant, every one of us will have equal access to the Bema Seat of Christ because of our position in the Lord. That's exciting. It's exciting to me to realize that everybody in God's eyes is significant enough to take the time to evaluate one-on-one. -on -one. You know, you think about that. You think you may be insignificant in this large corporation that you work for. Thousands of employees. And they only evaluate certain key people. Let me just tell you something about God's evaluation. There isn't anybody from the janitor, quote, on up to the senior vice president or the president of the corporation that isn't one day going to get his day before the Lord. Man, that's great news to every one of us. Number five out of nine facts that we're going to take a look at is that you'll be evaluated on the basis of your works alone. Okay? Belief determines destination. Behavior determines compensation. The things that you do, His work, our work will be shown for what it is because the day, specific day, is judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. So you'll see that there will be a day that we will be evaluated on the basis of our works alone. We talked a little bit about last week that the only reason that you and I have access to the judgment seat of Christ is because of our position in Christ. If we did not have that position in Christ, we would not be entitled to go before the Bema seat of Christ, but we would be waiting judgment as anybody who has never put their faith in Christ waits judgment before the great white throne judgment. So to use that analogy of business for lack of a better analogy, if you're working for a company, the reason that you have the right to be evaluated by whomever is going to evaluate you is because of your position in that company. You're not going to be evaluated on whether or not you work for that company because that's already a given. That's already understood by the fact that you are there. You will be evaluated, however, upon what you are doing within the responsibilities that you're given within that company. Okay? Those who are not positionally in Christ will never appear before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded on the basis of what they've done because, as we'll see right now, it doesn't make any difference what you've done if you've never put your faith in Christ. We'll be evaluated for the works that you did following your conversion. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Okay, we will be evaluated for your works following your conversion. Now, this is probably the hardest thing for a lot of us to understand and accept because it's like, well, but I was a good person before I put my faith in Christ. I did all these great things. I mean, I did a lot of good stuff. I gave a lot of money away and I did this and I did that and spent a lot of time, energy, and effort in these areas. And you're going to tell me that none of those things make any difference anymore? Exactly. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You did not exist before you put your faith and trust in Christ. As far as God is concerned, he's moved your transgressions from you as far as the east is from the west. I mean, anything that you did B.C. before Christ no longer exists in eternity. It's gone. It's wiped clear because of what Christ has done. And you say, well, I don't understand that. That doesn't make a lot of sense, but we're still doing good things. I think those should go to our credit. Well, if those things are going to go to your credit, then also your lack in faith and trust in Christ will go to your detriment. So it's a, it's a clean sweep of the program. Look at Matthew chapter 7 for a moment. Probably the saddest day is going to be the day when many stand before the judgment seat of Christ and never understood this truth. Matthew chapter 7. Starting with verse 13, look at this. We read, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who are able to find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward, inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but it is he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Check out their works. Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Then everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon a sand. And the, and the rain descended and the winds came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. You can bank on what Jesus is saying here. What was the two contrasting foundations? He used the parable to illustrate the truth that he was trying to get across to him. Okay, what was the first one? Yeah, right, rock. 
Rock, what was the second one? The sand. Okay, what is, he, what is he saying here? What was he trying to tell them as far as what was going on? Who were those who were building upon the sand? The foolish were building on the sand. That's right, brother. The foolish were building on the sand, right? But the problem was, let me ask you this. The problem was those who were building upon the sand, they were the things that were most visible. See, because he illustrates, this parable is used to illustrate the problem that they had with false teaching. Those who were out there that were promoting this uh, religion or acceptance by God based on works were the ones saying, do this, do that, do this, do this, and if you do all these things, then you'll be pleasing to God. They believed that all the way to the judgment seat when they said, Lord, but didn't we do all these great things? We did a lot of wonderful things. And they were compared to the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Now those who are building their house upon the rock, who does the rock stand for? Jesus Christ. We just saw that. There is no other foundation that's been laid except that which is Jesus Christ. And the possibilities exist that you could build upon this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, or contrast, you can build upon it using wood, hay, or straw. Even though those who have put their faith and trust in Christ are now building upon the rock, we have a choice of building with those things that will last or those things which will be destroyed. Now, for all of those who are building on the sand, then they're the ones who are promoting this works doctrine that says that you can earn God's pleasure and you can earn God's approval by uh, doing all these good things. And someday, God, if you do more bad things than good things or good things than bad things, you'll gain entrance into heaven because your good outweighs the bad. And Jesus said to him, look, you know what? I don't care what your works are because your works are being built on a foundation other than Jesus Christ. He said that, um, that the bottom line is to do the will of the Father, which is to accept his Son whom he has sent. So that's the contrast, the parable, is that there are a lot of people in the world who are doing a lot of good things in the world's eyes that will never be commended before God. In fact, Jesus made it clear when he says, And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He says that those who are um, contributing to life with bad fruits would be chopped up and thrown into fire. The Bible is very clear. You cannot talk about rewards. Listen to me. You can't talk about rewards without talking about the contrast of condemnation and judgment. There is no way without the contrast, and, and you'll see all through this series, that Jesus talks about future rewards always in contrast to the opposite. You follow me? Okay. Let's go. Number seven. I like number seven. You want to know what you're going to be evaluated on? This is great. You'll be evaluated for the works you did before you died. Nah, get out. That's pretty deep, isn't it? Isn't this a good one? I like this one. You say, well, that's only logical. Is it? Is it logical? You will be evaluated for the works that you did before you died. Listen to what he says. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for what? The things done in the body. Well, we already learned from the first week that when we die physically, that our soul and spirit is separated from the body. So the term, those things done in the body, are those things that occur like now. You say, well, that makes sense. That's pretty logical. You know, it's really not when you consider this. How many of you, how many of you have um, experienced 
like putting putting together a will or estate planning or something like that? Have you done that? Raise your hands. Us? Oh, I'm not real surprised. I mean, when we did the finance series, four of you have a budget, so. Uh, this doesn't surprise me a whole bunch, but we'll talk about it anyway. In the event that you ever decide to like plan for your inevitable demise, um, there's this new thing that's out right now, and it's it's kind of neat. It's geared toward 20th century Christians. It's estate planning. You know what it says? Something like this. It doesn't say it like this because it doesn't sound Christiany if you do this. It sounds more Christian if you word it right. But basically the bottom line is this. Go ahead and use whatever you want now while you're alive. And then when you die, why don't you leave it for the Lord's work? That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? If you think about it, well, let's see. I like that. I'll use it all. And then when I don't need it anymore, I'll leave it like to the, all these great ministries that are out there, you know. Neat mission organization over here. Maybe I'll leave it for this or I'll leave it for that. And uh, that'll work out great. I can use it so I don't need it. And then God can have it all. Don't you like that? Makes sense to me. How about it? Problem is, there's a real fallacy in the logic there. Well, sure you already did. That's why it's easy to give it up. That's right. That would come after we die. So we won't get any credit for that at all. And all our children would be glad to hear that. See, now, if I was taking notes here, say, listen, Mom and Dad, don't give away my share of the estate to the Lord's work because I won't even get any credit for it. You won't get any credit for it because I'm going to have a real bad attitude about it. So what I would suggest that you do, see, that's the way it works, is that the only thing that God cares about, and we're going to see throughout this series, you're going to be evaluated for works that are done here and now that involve sacrifice. Oh, I like this other. I like this other so much better, don't you? Use it till you don't need it, because when you're dead, you can't take it with you. So then you can leave it for the Lord's work, and everybody wins. What a great philosophy! There's nothing wrong with that. The only thing is that God's only taking note of the things that you are sacrificing now for His kingdom. Ah, oh, don't you hate stuff like this? It's so practical. It just really bugs me. But you got to deal with it. I mean, that's what it says, right? It's kind of like goodwill Christianity. You know, use it till you don't need it and then give it to somebody else. That's terrible. God is taking notes and he's going to evaluate you on what you did while you were alive. Now, that's not to say that you can't leave things for ministry. I think that's great. But I also want you to realize that, hey, you know what? Any ministry that you want to help out, let me just tell you something. Any ministry that you want to help out, that you want to be a part in, that you believe in what they're doing, can use help now. They can use help now. And the last thing, I mean, think about this. Let's just assume for a moment you're going to leave all your estate to this church or to another ministry. How would you like everybody who knows that you're going to leave money to this church praying for you to die? And the more ministries that find out that you're going to leave money after you die, the probability exists that they're all going to be praying for you to go home quickly. So why don't you just help them now and kind of circumvent that prayer 
And I know you'll probably be a lot happier. I just see you appearing before the judgment seat of Christ some days. And uh, although the Lord would know, obviously, that you're there, let's just assume for a minute that we digress to some wild theology. It's like, what are you doing here so soon? Well, I decided to leave everything after I died to your work, Lord, and uh, I guess some of your people decided to pray that you'd bring me home quicker. Oh, man, that's just tremendous. There's some sound thinking there. Number eight. You will be rewarded on the basis of your evaluation. This is the best news of the series. But there's still a lot of you saying, well, wait a minute, you mean... I'm going to be evaluated. I'm going to get paid back for the things that I do. Gee, that doesn't sound right. Really? Why doesn't that sound right? Let me ask you a question. Anywhere that you are, aren't you evaluated for what you do? Right? For the Son of Man is going to come in His glory and His angels and will reward each person again according to Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 8, 9. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. And each will be rewarded, what? According to his own labor. According to what? According to his own labor. Let me just ask you this. You show up for work on Monday. Whole new program at the office. What we're going to start to do at the office is we're just going to pay you, everybody that works here, the exact same amount of money. Doesn't matter what your position is, doesn't matter what your responsibilities are, doesn't matter how much time you put in, it doesn't matter how productive you are, we're just going to pay everybody the same rate. That sounds fair. Doesn't that sound fair? Why not? You already answered a question, that's not fair. Why not? Why doesn't that sound fair? How many would like that? Raise their hands. All you lazy people who think that's <laughs> Oh, you worthless bums. <laughs> Raise your hand. I like that system, actually. Um, just depends on what level we're all going to be paid. That's right. But how many of you would like that? Would you like that? Not at all. What do you want to be paid according to? According to what you've done. According to your performance. According to your efforts. And we look at God and we say, this whole thing with rewards really bugs me. Because you're telling me someday that I'm going to appear before Christ and He's going to reward me according to what I've done and that actually some of us are going to be better off than others. I just don't like that at all. But I love it here on earth. I just don't think heaven should be like that. Why not? Because you know, according to what you're doing, you don't have a lot to look forward to. Right? The thing I love about this too is, when you get paid according to your own labors, I just got this great picture of heaven. No unions. <laughs> what? What's the problem? We, we just have another coming into our mind. Oh, good. All union. All Let's all run with the first picture. What? What? That's it. But think about it. No seniority. It's not based on how long you've been. Well, let's see. How long have you known me? Well, that's right, going back 20 years. Okay, so we'll reward you based on the fact that you came to Christ earlier. Although, see, it was only God allowing you to be able to make that decision because the Holy Spirit, you know, softened your conscience to be able to even accept Christ. So it can't be based on seniority because it would say, well, that's not fair, Lord. I mean, you gave him the opportunity to respond quicker than me. So it's not based on seniority. It's not based on uh, number of years of service. This is a great program. It's based on what you've done. 
according to what you've done. Isn't that great, the day laborers? Remember that? They only worked a few hours. They got paid according to the generosity of the master. Well, guess what? This isn't like that at all. This is based on according to what you've done. So the argument, man, I've been, I've been slaving all day long. I've been doing this, I've been doing that, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? God's taking a note. This is great. I love it. You know what? And, and I mean, the worker deserves his wages. He who works his land will, be, will have abundance. Diligent hands bring wealth. The desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. All hard work brings a profit. God says your work on his behalf will be repaid. And God does, all through his word, tell us that, you know what? Hard effort, hard work will produce a dividend. And it does so in the area of spiritual things as well as physical. Number nine, the last of the facts, you will be rewarded individually according to what you do. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, Solomon writes in Proverbs 24, we knew nothing about this, does he not, he who not weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each according to what he has done? The Bible is pretty clear that God will re repay us according to our works. A lot of us have a problem with that. How many, do we have any sales people in here that are paid by commission? Commission sales people? Wheeler, let me ask you a question. Stand up when I look at you. <laughs> Last time you ever raised your hand in here, I know. Okay, this man is a commission salesman. Does anybody care how many hours you put in on your job? No, no. <laughs> yes. You're self-employed though, right? Oh, okay. No one cares. Okay. Does anybody care how many times you leave the office early to go? Maybe you got children? Any of them play sports or anything? You like go watch any of their games and stuff? Does anybody care if you go watch their games? Okay, no one cares whether you leave early. No one cares. Do you golf? Do you golf? No? What else do you do? Do you do anything else? Any other hobbies? Does anybody care if you go and do those things? Tennis. Okay, does anyone care if you leave the office at noon and go play a couple sets of tennis? No one really cares, do they? No one cares about you, Wheeler. <laughs> no, God does. Okay. Okay, go ahead. I'll sit down. I want to. But what, what's the point? The point is nobody cares as a commissioned salesperson how much time he's putting in or what he's doing with his time because you're paid according to what? Your performance. You are paid according to your performance. Nobody cares. See, so really the only person who has a real good handle on what God is trying to tell us is the only thing that you and I will ever be paid according to is what we do. Listen to this. Not according to how many church committees you belong to, not according to how much time you spend at church, not according to how many classes that you teach, how many Bible studies that you lead. God is not into quantity. God is into quality. Because that's the difference between works that are built with silver and gold and precious stones and those works that are built with hay and rubble and stubble and all the rest of the junk. We are living in a society that we think the more we do something, the better we are at it. There are people in business that I know who can spend 12 hours a day at the office and get three hours worth of production done. 
And you all, and you all, amen. You all working next to them saying, man, they make the same amount of money I do. I don't like this program. I wish we were paid according to what we did. See? And then there are others who can maximize their time. And it seems like to me, when you are committed to serving the Lord, that somehow, miraculously, by the grace of God, He gives you the ability to be able to juggle an already busy schedule and manage your time more effectively and more efficiently than those who never have time for the Lord because they're too busy doing all these other things. And you know why? Because they're not organized. God is a God of structure and organization and purpose. And you know what? The busier that I get doing the things that I know are gold, silver, and precious metals, the things that are going to stand before God's evaluation, the busier I am doing those things, it's like all the rest of my life falls into place. And anybody that's serving the Lord in any capacity knows that's a fact. And the rest who aren't serving in any capacity think there's oh, just too busy, there's no time to do it. What are you building on? Are you building with gold, silver, precious metals? Or are you building with garbage that's going to burn one day before the fire? That's the whole story of this evaluation. Let me just give you a story that Jesus used to illustrate it. And we'll close on this. Jesus used this story. It's in Luke chapter 19. It says that he was on his way to Jerusalem. And it has to do with the kingdom of God. They had a problem understanding the kingdom of God, if you remember. Remember, he was on his way to Jerusalem, and they were going to recognize him, and they were going to worship him, and uh, it was this triumphal entry, and they thought that the kingdom of God was going to be established right then and there. So he gave this parable as he goes to Jerusalem in Luke 19, starting with verse 11. It says, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy, listen to this, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Jesus is trying to illustrate a truth, and I want to summarize it this way. The coming evaluation is to be summarized like this. There are servants and there are subjects. Let me ask you a question. What was the difference between the two? Why was one a servant and one a subject? Why was one a servant and one a subject? Look at this. What was the difference? 
Okay, the servant went out and did something, right? But I want to get to the basic foundation of what's the difference between a subject and a servant? What separated these two camps? Look. Wait, wait, wait. The initiative? No, the subjects and the servants. Look at this. Until I come back, what did they say? The subjects what? The subjects hated him, sent a delegation after him, and said what? We don't want this man to be our king. The difference between a subject and a servant has to do with the submission to the authority of the king. You see what I'm saying? The subject said, we hate him. You're not going to be our king, Jesus. You're not going to rule over us. I'm not going to submit to you. I don't want anything to do with you. The rebellion of a world around us who says, hey, you know what, this Jesus thing, it's all right for you, but it's not for me. What they're saying in essence is, guess what? I hate what you're saying. I don't want any part of it. And that's the difference between a subject and a servant. See, there's two destinies, as we'll see also. The subject and the servant. There are subjects and there are servants. There are different destinies for the servant and for the subject. And then last, there are different rewards from servant to servant. And all of these truths are illustrated beautifully in this story. There are servants and subjects. The difference between the subjects and the servants. Servants are those who submit to the God, those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. They are servants. The subjects are those who rebel against who God says Jesus is and what he's done for us. They are subjects. Camp one, camp two. There are different destinies, the Bible teaches, between both camps. And the last thing are, there are different rewards from servant to servant. So as we look at this, what were the rewards? This is great. Do you remember this? This is a classic. I underlined this when I was reading it through my Bible. Um, let's see. No man with the better. Okay. Oh, this is interesting. Look at this. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Take charge of five cities. There's different rewards. There's different responsibilities that will be given from servant to servant. This is pretty obvious, isn't it? Maybe we don't know what a city is, and we look at that, but to me, it's just telling me that there's a difference between servant and servant. Those who served well and those who did not. Those who served were rewarded according to how they served. But I love this, because I think this is the one that all of us are looking at, and um, this is great. It says, take his mind away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Look at their response. This is like, I kind of hear this in heaven. But, but... But he already has ten. Wait a minute. Lord, he already has ten. Are you going to tell me that you're going to give him even more? This isn't fair. Isn't that, I mean, that's kind of the way it looks like to me. When we wrestle with this area of rewards, all of us have this problem with, well, that's just not fair. See, that's man's reasoning. He already has ten. Why are you going to bless him with any more? You know what Jesus said? Ah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what the truth is here. I don't care what you think. Let me tell you what it is. You may think it's not fair. I don't care what you think. It's my program, Jesus is saying, and I'll be the one to determine how I'm going to reward whom for what. God doesn't care what you think. He really doesn't. He doesn't care what I think. The only thing he cares about is what he says. And what we got to do is adjust our thinking to what he says. That's the hard part about it. So, there are servants, there are subjects. Belief determines destination. Behavior determines compensation. 
There is a clear difference between subjects and servants. There is a clear difference in their destiny. The Lord said, bring them before me and, I will ki and kill them in front of me. And the others, the servants, there's a difference in, in, uh, in rewards. And last, behavior is what determines compensation. I ran across a great quote that I think is just ties in real well to what we're doing here. It says, the most important thought, Daniel Webster said, the most important thought I ever had was that of my individual responsibility to God. Let me just tell you something. You can hide in a church. You can hide in a group like this. You can hide in, among numbers of people everywhere that you want in life. But there is a day that's coming when you will sit one-on-one -on -one before the Lord who knows everything, all things are laid open and bare to Him, and you may blow smoke at the rest of us and put up a facade and everything else, and we may be buying into it. But there is a day coming when, like Daniel Webster said, man, when I realize my individual responsibility to God, it should change the way that I live my life. There's a day coming where you and I will sit or stand before the throne of Jesus Christ Himself. And I'll tell you what, if it doesn't change what you're doing now, then you just ain't paying attention. That's close. Our Father, we're just grateful for the simple truth of Your Word. It's so simple and it's so easy to understand and yet we try to read into so many things. We try to place things that are, shouldn't be there. We try to put them there. We try to stick certain angles in and exceptions and God, it's just obvious that many of us are sitting around saying, Lord, it's just not fair. We need to realize that it's Your Word. It's Your program. And it's your truth. We may not like it. We may want to try to change it. But the reality of it is, it's your truth. God, I just pray this morning that each one of us, as we anticipate the most important evaluation that we'll ever have to undergo, that we can look at the works that we're doing now. We can look at what we're doing and realize the importance of that phrase, that we'll be rewarded according to God, help us to build on that foundation with things that are precious, with things that will withstand the fire. And Lord, we just thank you that you've made it very plain to us, very clear to us what we can expect. Lord, may it change us. May we leave here change people wanting to serve you more out of love. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, the problem that most of us have is uh, what's a good work and what's a bad work? Do you ever wrestle with that? Like, really, what's good and what's bad? We're going to take a look at what works are good and what works are bad. And we'll look at that next week.